why do we worship? What is worship for? There are many answers that we might give to this question, and many of them have part of the truth. We might say that worship inspires us to be better people, and there's something to that. We come and hear the words of Jesus today and the teachings of the prophets and the apostles. We're challenged by Christ's sacrificial love for the least and the lost, his call to love one another and forgive one another as he has forgiven us, and by the prophet's call to let justice roll down like waters. Go and do thou likewise, Christ always tells us. And then we are sent out in the power of the Spirit to carry out his work in the world. We might say that worship makes us happier, more fulfilled people. That we're filled up and fed for the week ahead, and there's something to that too. Studies show that regular churchgoers tend to live longer have lower levels of stress and anxiety, have more meaningful friendships and more stable and lasting family lives. In a country where our social fabric is increasingly polarized and frayed, where more and more of us feel lonely and angry and alone, church is a place that weaves people together around something that's much deeper and more lasting than the latest piece of political outrage or the new superhero movie. Church is a community where we discover and enjoy a real common good with our friends to lean on when we need it and where we're lifted up each week by a message of hope that speaks into our suffering and helps give us the strength to go on. All of these are good reasons to go to worship. And we might give others, like, for instance, the music or or having a place with rituals to mark the great passages of the seasons of life. And if you add up all of these reasons and more that we could think of, you could make a good sociological, not theological, case that going to church is one of the most positive life choices you can make, both from an individual and a social standpoint, even if you leave out all of that business about God. I've read academics who make that case, and I tend to think that they're right. Of course I would. I know churchgoers, and I hate to say it, clergy, who aren't always all that sure about God and Christian doctrine, but are absolutely committed to supporting their church and going to worship because they know that it's good for them and good for society. All of that is good. Yet... If this is all that we think worship is for, and it's pretty clear, isn't it, by looking at our buildings that church is about worship first and foremost, then I think that we've missed the main point of worship entirely. Worship does make us happier and more fulfilled, and it should make us better and more moral, but worship isn't primarily about any human purpose or earthly benefit. No, worship is just about God. We worship God for no other reason than that God is to be worshipped. We lift up our hearts because it is right and meet so to do. In worship, we declare the worth of God. 
We give God glory and honor because of who he is, the almighty and eternal one, dwelling from before time and forever, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, lord of lords, source of light and life, the lovely God of love, beautiful savior, giver of all good gifts, God of amazing grace. If you and I saw even for an instant just a fraction of the reality of the being of God, we would fall down in awe and fear and thanksgiving and then leap up to our feet with joy, lost in wonder, love, and praise. This Easter season, the lectionary has been taking us through for the past several weeks some of the most memorable passages in the book of Revelation as a way to help us train our eyes and our vision and to lift up our hearts to that which lies ahead of us, the Christian hope. At the beginning of all things, we read in the book of Genesis that God once dwelt among us, walking through the garden with Adam and Eve and talking with them as a friend. When we then fell into sin and became subject to evil and death, what it meant is that we were cast out to a far country somewhere east of Eden, estranged from God and at war with one another. But the eternal God who made us for himself has chosen never to be except to be with us in Jesus. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, a child born behind enemy lines, defended with nothing except the truth. In the season of Lent and Holy Week, we walked through the drama of what we did to him when he came, as we tried once more to banish God from his world and live by ourselves. As Christ hung on the cross, a great question hung in the balance. Would God ever again choose to dwell with his people? Would he ever again walk and talk with us face to face as a friend? Or were we now doomed forever to live alone, kings of the lonely kingdom of hell that we have made for ourselves? When we read a few weeks ago that the resurrected Christ came back to his disciples and asked Peter, who had betrayed him, if he would be the one to feed and tend his sheep. Well, we knew right then what the answer to that great question was. God had chosen from all eternity never to be except to be with us in Jesus The power of his love for us was so great that nothing could separate us from it. Neither height, nor depth, nor things past, nor things to come. Nothing. God would dwell among his people. He would be our God. And we would be his children. In the passage from the book of Revelation today, St. John 
looked out in a vision that saw all the way to the end of time. And he saw there that God's purpose will not be shaken. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, would come down out of heaven from God. The home of God will be among mortals. He will dwell with us as our God. We will be his peoples, and God himself will be with us. If on that day we look upon him whom we crucified and betrayed and neglected, and we look upon his beloved children to whom we did the same, and we then begin to weep tears of sorrow and shame and regret for what we've done, then God himself will lift us up with his nail-pierced hands and wipe every tear from our eyes. See, behold, he will say, all of the suffering and shame that you made is gone. I have made all things new. Death is no more. Shame and guilt and fear are through. God will dwell with us now in a good and pleasant promised land flowing with milk and honey where he is king and all shall be well. We could not defeat him. It is done. He who was in the beginning shall be in the end. The Alpha and the Omega. God with us in Christ. Why do we worship? If we see even a glimpse of this vision, how could we not? We worship God because of who he is and what he has done for us out of his great love. Poets have sang again and again of this. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to lay aside his crown for my soul. Oh, how great the Father's love for us. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. <laughs> Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. Alleluia, all creation says in the psalm, and amen. Why do we worship? A couple from the 1015 service, uh, Colby and Mickey, recently introduced me to a Norman Rockwell print that I hadn't seen before. Maybe you have. It's, it shows the magnificent stone portal of St. Thomas Episcopal Church on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. It's beautiful. It has Christ seated in glory, surrounded by saints and angels giving him praise. The church doors are thrown open wide to welcome everyone inside, to join their voices to the choir of angels, archangels, and the great crowd of witnesses that encompasses all creation, as the psalmist says, worshiping God before his throne night and day. 
And the priest has put out a sign that says, lift up your hearts. But everyone on the sidewalk is just walking right on by. Their eyes are looking straight ahead and down at the earth, not even noticing the glory that shines like transfiguration all around them. The painting, I think, is a parable of why we need to go to worship. For most of us, most of the time, our hearts and our eyes are cast down to the earth. Our hearts are attached to things that we think will bring us happiness and peace, or at least pleasure and pride, and so we can't see anything else. Or we have good intentions, and we try to pray and seek God, but our attention is distracted, and our lives are haphazard and scattered, and we're sort of entertained by the latest amusement, but never for long, and we never grow, and then one day we die. Or maybe, maybe we're so possessed by some resentment we carry around, some grudge we can't stop nursing, some suspicion we can't shake, that our hearts stay locked up inside of our chests and we, come, we become nothing but a small, sad collection of dingy old fears and grievances. On our own, we might feebly try to lift up our hearts to heaven, but our sins are like chains that drag our hearts back down to earth, like the ghosts of Jacob and Marley. We need to go to worship because we need God to lift up our hearts. We need the book of Revelation, the revealed word of God, to open our eyes to the vision of the new Jerusalem that we cannot see. Precisely when we don't want to go to worship is when we need it most. We need to have our eyes trained to see what they cannot now see. Our hearts lifted up to love that which truly is lovely. Our mouths taught to speak words of faith and thanksgiving and praise that we don't yet fully feel or understand. And we need this again and again every week. We need actually to hear God's word and to pray every day not just every week. If we do this, someday we will find, like the student who practiced her piano every day until one day she discovered that effortless, beautiful music flowed from her hands, we'll find that we really do see the vision of the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. One day we'll find that we see everyone with the eyes of Jesus. One day, we'll have the power to forgive without any resentment. We'll love without any fear. We'll have faith like a child in our Heavenly Father.
And then some fine day, we'll discover that our faith has become sight. The vision of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, will be as real as the city we live in now. Even more real and more true. We'll see our Savior face to face. And we'll live forever in our Father's house like a child at home. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Why do we worship? It's what we're made for. And it's the way that leads us home to that for which we were made. To the heavenly city that God has built for us. So then come. Lift up your hearts to God. And let us give him thanks and praise.